It is great to see you at Valley Point Church this morning, and I want you to know that God does have a wonderful plan for all of us that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, and we're going to spend our time today thinking about Jesus and diving into what God wants to share with us from his word about his beloved son. Here's what I want to do. I want to pause and just pray again and ask God to open our hearts to be transformed through his word, that we would be open to what he's going to say to us, and that we would be really willing to be obedient to it as well. So will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for today and for the opportunity we have just to sing, to lift up our hearts and songs and words in response to who you are and what you've done for us. And you are a good God, it's true. And I think we'll understand that in greater ways today as we think about the person of Christ. So open our hearts and our minds, help us to push out some of the distractions that may be rolling around in our lives right now. Help us to push out activities for today and assignments and to-do lists for this week. And really just open our minds to being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul the Apostle astutely noted in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I want to know Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I want to know him. And that word know is something that we'll discuss in just a few moments. But he states, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is what I desire. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. The first phrase of verse 10 is just a spirited cry from the apostle Paul that he wants to know Christ. Like this is my passion. And this is my heart's desire. I want to actually know Christ. That word know in the construction of the sentence comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to have a personal acquaintance or experience with. So Paul is stating here, I want to gnosko. I want to have a personal acquaintance and an experience with Christ. And this is my desire. This is my passion. Well, as I think about these words, I wonder personally, is this true of me? Is this actually true of me? Do I want to know Christ? The way that Paul describes here, to have a personal acquaintance and an experience with him. Do I want to know Christ that way? 
And I ask everyone here and everyone watching online the same question. Do we want to know Christ as described in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10? So think about it. Students, do you want to know Christ? Young professionals, do you want to know Christ? Parents of all ages, do you want to know Christ and then lead from that kind of platform? Middle-agers, do you want to know Christ? Retirees, what about you? Do you want to know Christ? I want you to wrestle with that question throughout our time because today we are going on a journey of looking at Jesus and learning a little bit more about him. And whether you've been apprenticing with Jesus for a really long time or you're new to following Christ, or maybe you're coming back to Jesus after a period of time of being away from him for whatever reason. Or maybe you would say, yeah, I'm not a believer in Christ, but I'm kind of intrigued with him and he's interesting to me. Wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, wherever you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum, if you open your heart today, I believe God has something for you. I really do. So today we are going to give our time to what theologians call Christology or the theology, or the doctrine, or the study of Christ. So let's get to know him a little bit more, because I believe in doing that, we'll be able to live out what we see here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Our passion for knowing Christ will grow, and we will become rooted in Christ, which is our one-year theme and our one-year goal as a church. So let's just think for a few moments about Christology or the doctrine of Christ. And in getting to know him more, we could talk about his eternality and his deity. We could do that. We could talk about his humanity and his incarnation. We could talk about the offices of Christ, the present ministry of Christ, and the future work of Christ. That's all a lot of stuff that we could discuss, which should help us to know that we can never exhaust talking about Jesus. We could never end this type of discussion. Can you imagine if you came to church someday and we said, you know what, there's nothing more to learn about Jesus. We've covered it all. So goodbye and have a great life. Well, that would be kind of crazy because when thinking about the person of Jesus, it is a vast topic. There's no end to it. Scholar Dwight Pentecost said it this way, the shelves of our libraries are filled with tens of thousands of volumes written on both the words and the works of Jesus Christ. To sift through all of this material would be impossible it's just impossible in a single lifetime. Jesus is a vast study. Yet when we see the world through the lens of Jesus, we discover what we find in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. 
that says now he, speaking of Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or, will you say the next two words with me? Anything else? Yes. (laughs) That's Jesus. He's just above anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So we are going to go on a little journey here of thinking about the person of Christ as described in the doctrine of theology. And here's how we will accomplish this. Here's our walking path for today, just so you know where we are going. And this is going to feel long to you, but we're going to do our best to move through things quickly. So here's the path. I want to begin with a starting point. As we think about the person of Jesus, who is he and how should we address him? What do we call Jesus or what should we call him? That will be our starting point. And then we're going to ask the question, how could God become one of us? Right? Like, I think that's kind of fascinating. Why did up there come down here and get involved in our mess That doesn't seem like a very God-like thing to do, but yet that's what happened. So how could God become one of us? And then we want to think about the incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh. And then we're going to ask the question, who am I? Right? Because we want to do more than just talk about the person of Jesus and take notes and fill in blanks about him. We want to ask, how does this impact my life today? And then we'll get to our takeaways. So a starting point. The question, how could God become one of us? The incarnation. The question, who am I? And then what difference does the study of Christology make in our lives and in our world today? And that will be our takeaway. So here is our starting point. When we talk about Jesus, we are talking about him as a member of the Trinity. The triune God. Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, yet they coexist as one person, as a triunity. Three persons, yet one person. So when we're talking about Jesus today, we are talking about God himself. We're not talking about a lower ranking minion sent into the world to do the work of God the Father as if there is a ranking system. We're talking about Jesus as God, and we need to keep that in mind as we move through this conversation. Another quick note. Is it Jesus or is it Christ? What should we call him? Is Jesus his first name and Christ his last name? Well, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Even if you're really angry, it's not his last name. And his middle initial most certainly is not H. Scholars are pretty certain on that. I was at a basketball game a few years ago watching one of my sons play. There was another father in the stands watching his son play. And every time his son took a shot, he would kind of put his head down and say, Oh, dear. And he would call on the name of Jesus which I thought was kind of fascinating. I wanted to say to him, look, even Jesus can't help your sunshot. I get to, it's a mess. 
It's a mess. And I know he walked on water and he healed people and he rose from the dead, but there's nothing that can be done about your son's shot. Now, thankfully, I didn't say that at all, which was a good choice, but it did make me wonder, what did people call Jesus in his day and in his time? How did they refer to him? Well, Jesus would have likely been called Jesus, son of Joseph, or Jesus bar Joseph, which means son of Joseph, which would have followed the custom of his day where people's names were attached to the name of their father. And as people would have watched Jesus, especially as a young boy, but probably even into his adulthood, they would have said, oh, that's Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which is a translation of a Hebrew word that means Messiah. So we really should say Jesus is the Christ. That's a very proper way to say it in a good way, which means Jesus is the Messiah because that's what the word Christ means. So Jesus, Christ, we use these names interchangeably and they both are good and both are acceptable. This is our starting point, okay? Jesus is God, not some lower-ranking person sent by God the Father to accomplish some things on earth. He is truly God, and He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, which means good things for all of us. Okay, let's ask the question, how could God become one of us? How is that even possible? Especially when you think about our great God, the one who is above all and over all. Why would he do what appears to be an ungodlike thing to do? And that would be to get involved in our mess. To come into a broken world and seek to do something about it. Why would God do this? And how could God become one of us? Well, I think this is so beautifully captured for us in Philippians chapter 2. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this great paragraph. So if you have a Bible or a device, I would encourage you to join me in the New Testament book of Philippians. This is written by the Apostle Paul to God's holy people living in the city of Philippi. And what we find in Philippians chapter 2 is just a great Christological text that really lifts up the person of Jesus. Like, here he is, and here is what he has done for us, which should cause us to constantly come back to this passage and say, oh my goodness, God is really good. He's really good. I'll begin reading with verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to hang on to. Instead, he, would you say these two words with me? Gave up. And that's a key concept here, a deep theological truth. Jesus, he gave up his divine privileges. And here's what happened. Here's what he did. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Theologians look at this key passage in Philippians chapter 2, one of the great passages about Jesus in all of Scripture, and they refer to this as the hypostatic union. That's the term that they give to this. The hypostatic union, which kind of sounds like a show on Netflix, doesn't it? Like, hey, what did you do this weekend with the snow and the blustery wind? Oh, well, I binge-watched a season of the hypostatic union and paired it with pizza and Moose Tracks ice cream. It was amazing, just fantastic. Well, I checked, actually, and the hypostatic union is not a show on anything. Here's what it is, and here's what it means. This is Christ taking on a human nature while remaining fully God. A really important thing for us to get, and a beautiful aspect of God's goodness for us. It's Jesus being fully human while remaining fully God. That's the hypostatic union of these two natures. So why does this matter? And why should we talk about two words most of us will probably never really use? Why does this matter? It sounds like something theologians discuss when they have nothing else to talk about, and they get a little bored. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because both natures, Jesus being fully God and Jesus being fully human, are necessary for us to experience salvation and have a forever friendship with God. Both are necessary as a human without sin. We have to remember that about Jesus. He was fully human, yet without sin. Jesus could die in our place. He was qualified to do that as a human without sin. And as God, the death of Jesus provided payment for our sins. Both natures are necessary. So the hypostatic union is this beautiful thing that describes God and the Son, Jesus, being fully human and yet fully God at the same time, because he was human without sin, he could die in our place. And because he was God, the death of Jesus provided payment for our sins. So this passage here in Philippians chapter 2 is, wow! Like we should come to this and really be overwhelmed with what God put in place for us. It's stunning what we've read here. How Jesus gave up his divine privileges. This is stunning in so many ways and should cause us to say, only God, right? <laughs> like only God could do something like this in order to rescue humanity and provide a way for us to be right with him. It should also cause us to sing a little bit like what we sang today. Did you pick up on this? We sang, hopefully you were singing this, 
There is power in the name of Jesus. Oh my. That's more than just a song. Like our hearts should be leaping at the thought of this. There is power in the name of Jesus. Yes, that's true. How about this one? King Jesus, none stronger. Okay. I see you, King Jesus, and there really is no one stronger. No one. How about this line? Things change when we call you Jesus. See, Jesus coming to earth and being fully human and fully God at the same time helps us to know that God is with us and for us and that he believes salvation is something we should receive. So this is kind of an oh my, a wow, a step back and say only God could do this kind of thing for us. And think about this. Theologian Beth Felker Jones captures the heart of God being with us and for us in a beautiful way. Just listen to this. Because God is with us and for us, we are freed to be with and for others. Okay, just let that sink in for a moment. Because God is with us and for us, we now get the chance because of his great love for us and the hypostatic union and everything that means when we trust in Christ's saving work, we get the chance to give that love to others and be with them and for them as well. She goes on to state, because God's love reaches into our specificity, our particularity, we have hope that our love can follow suit. As we practice Christology, we draw near to Jesus Christ and we begin to be transformed in him. And I would just add to that, as we focus and think about being rooted in Christ by thinking of the person of Jesus and everything that he's done for us. We become transformed into the image of Jesus now for the sake of others, right? We love God and we love other people and begin to work towards helping them understand the great depths of Christ's love. The hypostatic union is a beautiful thing to consider that impacts followers. Let's ask the question now, who am I in relationship to all of this? Which I think is kind of an interesting question. Because when considering the topic of Jesus and studying Christology, it really is all about him. So it seems kind of selfish to say, well, what about me? Right? And where do I fit into all of this? But I think that is a fair question. Because when we consider Connecting all of this together, when we think about Jesus, he's fully God and he's fully human. He came because he considered us worthy of saving. He came to be with us and for us. And when we trust in the saving work of Jesus, when we personalize this, here's what becomes true of us that answers the question, who am I? And how do I connect to the person of Jesus? So because Jesus came to be with us and for us, we now have a way to be right with him. When I trust in the saving work of Jesus and add nothing to that, I have this forever friendship with him that now determines who I am. 
And maybe you've lost a little bit of who you are. And you're wondering, who am I anymore? Right? I think we come to some different points in life where we wonder, what am I doing? And what does God want for me? And what should happen to me and for me next? And we get a little lost in our way. So if you are a follower of Jesus, please hear this. When you trusted in his saving work, here's what Jesus says about you. So just listen to this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God and heir to his kingdom. It's amazing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a temple of God's dwelling. He's with you and in you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And we could go on and on and on about all of the things that we are in Christ. But these are just some of the things that describe the person who embraces Jesus, all of which gives us significance. I share that with you because no matter how you are feeling today about your standing before God, no matter how you're feeling about what's happening on the inside or what you are currently walking through in life, in Christ. So sometimes we have to keep coming back to this. And I don't feel good about life. I don't feel good about myself. I'm losing my way. But here's who I am in Christ. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. I am a temple of God's dwelling. He is still with me and for me. I am a new creation. I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. And sometimes we might just need to repeat those things over and over and over again to get us into a place where we understand, yeah, here's who I am in Christ. So as we think about Christology, this impacts who we are. So rejoice in that and have some confidence in your standing in Christ. All of which brings us to our takeaways. I have three to share with you. Number one. Because of our identity in Christ, we are free from condemnation. Would you let that just kind of settle into your soul for a moment? Because of who we are in Christ, we are free from condemnation. I think we're pretty good at beating ourselves up about failures and sin and the past, or we're good about allowing other people to beat us up over those things. Would you just know that in the person of Christ, there is no condemnation? That's actually what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 tells us. There is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in him, if you have trusted in him, no condemnation for you. Again, we might condemn ourselves, but from Jesus, no condemnation at all. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this on March 27th. I would encourage you to be here as we think about the study of humanity and sin, 
and how we can overcome in Christ. Because in him, guess what? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation, no condemnation. That's really good news. I think more of you should be smiling because of that. Thank you. Yeah, number two, because of our identity in Christ, we can actually focus on building others. Or you could swap out that word building for loving. Because here's what we find in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Of all the things Jesus asked of us, and he asked quite a bit. When you walk through the pages of the New Testament, you see, well, here's what Jesus wants and here's what he would like from me. Jesus asked for quite a bit, but of all of the things that he asked for, one of the most significant things is that we would love each other. Even the people that we don't like, even the people that are irritating. Love is the great Christian ethic. And over and over again, we are asked to love each other. And because of our identity in Christ, I have the opportunity now to love you. And you have the opportunity to love me. And we get the chance to love each other because of who we are in Christ. So focus on building and loving others. And then takeaway number three, if you have never trusted in Christ's saving work for you, he extends his life for you. That's what he did. That's the heart of Christology. So trust. Trust in him alone without adding anything to that. Because it's what he wants for you. And it's why he gave his life. So Christology. It gives us a passion for what Jesus has done for us. And it deepens our roots to know that Jesus is for us and he can be with us. Father, we are so thankful for our time today just to look at several different passages, but focus on Philippians chapter 2 this seminal passage in the Bible that talks about Jesus and what he gave up for us. It's amazing. And should cause us to respond to you and to sing with joy and to say only God and to get low before you because of what you provided for us. Jesus being both human and God. It's a mystery we'll probably never understand this side of heaven. But we trust and step into this with faith in what you have done. I'd like for you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus a really long time. I'd like for you just to cry out to God and say, okay, here's what I heard you whisper into my heart today about the person of Jesus, about who I am. 
about worshiping him, about honoring him, about loving others, whatever the case might be. Just talk to God right now about what you heard him say to you. Maybe you're here and you've never thought about trusting in Jesus alone as your forever friend, but it's making sense to you that he came and lived and died and rose again for you. And you're ready to personalize that and trust in the saving work of Jesus alone without adding anything to that, just simple trust and faith, then I would encourage you from your heart to God's ears, just cry out to him and talk to him and say, God, I trust in Jesus alone and what he has done for me. I know my life isn't exactly what it should be. I know I am a sinner. I know my life isn't perfect, but yet I'm claiming Jesus in faith and I'm asking him to be my leader and my forgiver. Just tell God that you're trusting in Jesus alone for you. Claim that. For those crying out to Jesus, for the very first time and trusting in him. I want to say congratulations to you. You have a forever friend who will never leave you and can't forget about you. And you have a whole new identity in Christ, an heir of the kingdom of God, a citizen of heaven. God now dwells in you. Walk with confidence today because there is no condemnation for you. So, Father, we thank you for this time to just think about the person of Jesus and to get to know him a little bit better and all that he's done for us. The topic is vast. We could keep thinking about him for a really long time. But we're grateful for what we've picked up on today. Help us to take this and respond appropriately to you. We pray all of this now. In the name of Jesus, amen.